Now, inspired, 2 Timothy 3.16, the scripture says this, all scripture, all scripture is inspired by God. The word inspired means to be God breathed. It means that it has divine origin. It means that it originated with God and from God. And so when you hear the word inspired, it was breathed out by God. Fundamental fault. You've got to get this. The Bible is about God. The subject is God. The Bible is not about us. The Bible is about the author, the creator, the perfecter of all things. This book is about who God is, what God has done, what God requires, what God inspires. This book is about God. And so it encourages us and how we're to live, but we're not the subject of the Bible. We'll never be the subject of the Bible. And so it's, it's so important that when we pick up the word of God, that's the reason it's called the word of God. It's not called the word of man, or it's not even called the word for man. It's called the word of God. It's about God. So God is wanting us to know who he is and what he requires and what it means to have a relationship with him and represent him to the world in which we live. Now, the premise thought throughout this entire series is this. The Bible is a love story that starts with a divorce in Genesis chapter 3. The Bible is a love story, but it starts with a divorce in Genesis chapter 3. And from chapter 3 of Genesis all the way through the end of Revelation... You see a betrayed lover in the person of God pursuing and wooing back that which has divorced him, inviting us back into this family, this fellowship, this freedom of relationship with him so we can enjoy him forever. That is the storyline, if you will. Now, God pursues, God woos, God doesn't give up, God doesn't write us off. God doesn't just eliminate us when we jack things up. The story of the entire Bible is, I'm, I'm coming after you. I love you. I made you in my image. I'm not going to give up on you. In the book of Genesis, last week we talked about how God is the originator and how God is the, the breath of life. He, he, he is the breath that we even have. Now, we talked about in Exodus how God uh, presents himself as salvation and as the deliverer. I bring about deliverance. Today, we're going to unpackage Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. You've got to ask the question when you contemplate Scripture, why would a loving God continue to woo us even when we rebel, reject, and walk away from him? Why would a God, why would a God continue to love us unconditionally? Why would this God do that? Because it's his very character, it's his very nature. He does not change. Here, here, here it is. Our behavior never determines the character of God. The character of God is never codependent upon our behavior and our action and lifestyles. God is God. And that's the reason this book is about him. Well, how, how, how do you do parenting better? It's about him. Go to him. How, how do you make a, this marriage better? Go, go to him. 
How do I deal with finances? Go to him. How do I love my neighbor? Go to him. How do I forgive a wrong? Go to him. Because he is the forgiver. He is the covenant keeper. We've got to go to him. Now, Leviticus is a phenomenal book if you study it. Leviticus screams this. Holiness comes before happiness. Holiness comes before happiness. If you walk holy, eventually you will become happy, joyful. Happiness does not lead to holiness. Say it another way. You can be good and not be godly, but if you're godly, you're going to be good. Because the godliness and righteousness and holiness of God produces the right type of behavior. That's what we find in Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit. Spirit what? The Spirit of God, the holiness of God that's inside of us produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, etc. So it screams right out of the gate that holiness comes before happiness. Now, write this down. Sink your teeth into this. A working definition of holiness is separated from the world, from evil, from sin, and set apart unto the things of God. So when we talk about holiness, we're talking about God has cut us out of the world, and we're to separate, disengage with lust of the eyes, lust of flesh, pride of life, all this other kind of stuff. So when we talk about holiness, it's separation from, but it's set apart unto. Being set apart unto is a crucial piece of this. I've talked to people before, had a conversation a few weeks back with an individual. And uh, this individual has battled uh, weed and more alcohol-related issues. I want you to hear this. He looked at me and said, I haven't had anything to drink since last August. I'm like, cool. Nothing else. He wanted me to know what he had been separated from, but he didn't tell me what he had been set apart to. To which I responded, I'm glad, but you're functioning as a dry drunk. You didn't tell me you were free in Christ. You didn't tell me what you were doing. You didn't tell me how the sanctification process of the Lord working in your life, what that's about. You just told me what you're not doing. And a lot of people in the church in the Bible Belt, they think because they're not raising hell, drinking, and partying, well, look at what I'm not doing. Okay, cool, you separated, but what, have, what are you set apart to? What are you doing? What are you plugged into? And there's a lot of people that still function as dry drunks who have not got free in Christ because they think salvation is not doing. What are you doing? Now, holiness. Separated from, set apart unto the things of God. Now, the first step to living a holy life as we study scripture as a new covenant believer is experiencing God's salvation through faith and repentance. I've got to repent and place my faith in Jesus alone to bring about salvation. Holiness is God's idea. God's the one that can bring about holiness in our life. We can't do it. But here's what I personally know. An intimate, an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ and being empowered by the Holy Spirit, empowered 
by the Holy Spirit will trump any issue or problem that you ever face. I didn't say walking an aisle, praying a prayer, and going through the religious ritual of just getting in a tank of water is going to be cool. I said being empowered by the Holy Spirit. Trusting the Holy Spirit to lead you, to permeate you, to guide you. Once we start to walk into that, we go, look at what God is doing. So it is essential to understand again and again and again, only God can make us holy. We can't make ourselves holy. Relationship with God will always be on God's terms, not our terms. We cannot reduce him down to manageable terms and make him what we want him to be. We have to embrace him for who he is and how he's revealed himself in Scripture. So again, those bogus prayers I prayed at 18 and 20 years old, if you'll just let me get home and not get a DUI, I'll quit drinking, I'll quit cussing, I'll quit going out to bars if you'll just let my arm feel better where I can pitch good tomorrow. What kind of nonsense was that? But those were some of the stupid, bogus prayers I prayed in the past. And every person in this room has prayed something like that where they wanted to define the terms and reduce God down. So you meet me where I'm at, we'll be good. And God goes, I'm jealous I share my glory with none other. Now, the problem with many of us is this. We identify our needs. Then we want God to meet us where we're, or where we're at and to make us happy. God, just meet me where I'm at and give me a pain-free life. Back to what I said last week about Adam and Eve. Nick and I were talking about this earlier today. Inside the human heart is always this desire to negotiate with God. Now, I need to, I got to negotiate with God. I got to let God know kind of what the score is. You're not the subject of the book. You want me to make you happy without ever dealing with the sin problem that you have and making you holy. It's not going to happen. You see, Israel, when we get into studying Genesis, Exodus, now Leviticus, Israel had been redeemed by God. God had bought them back, brought them out of oppression, brought them out of Egypt. Now, Egypt, uh, when they re returned Israel from Egypt, they were to live in such a way that honored their God. They were supposed to be reflecting who their God was and what their God was about. Now, I want you to get this. Write this down. Don't, don't, don't miss this. Receiving God's salvation and forgiveness should always lead to holy living and spiritual growth. When people tell me that they have received the salvation and forgiveness of God, but there is absolutely no holy living and spiritual growth taking place. You met not the Jesus of the Bible. You met somebody else. You met an imposter, not the king. Because everything that Master Jesus touched, he changes. He transforms. So one of the signs of the saved is this manifestation of the holiness of God starting to leak out of their life. And you're going to see spiritual growth in their life. Now, I've had people over the years say, well, well you got to understand, I, I got saved when I was little. Saved from what? Separated from what and set apart to what? That's the reason I think it's so bogus for so many people to hang 
to hang their eternal security in the scales of some lip sync Milli Vanilli prayer that got prayed when you were seven years old, but there's never been any fruit in your life. Casey, okay, that's where I was, man. I prayed this prayer at 13 because I got ambushed by a dude that scared me and said, you're going to hell. So I prayed a prayer. And I remember, oh yeah, I prayed and asked Jesus to save me from what? To what? I didn't ask Christ to save me so I could know him, so that I could walk with him, so that he would form and shape me into this holy lifestyle. I was just trying to dodge hell. I, I, I took out an insurance plan, not assurance plan. You can't a la carte who he is. So God's salvation and forgiveness should always lead to holy living and spiritual growth. You're going to struggle at times even after becoming saved? You doggone right you are. Still going to have some hiccups along the way? The exception, not the pattern. Yes. Exception. It's not the pattern of how I do life. Because I've got God in me, the hope of glory, and I've got the Holy Spirit, the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead now lives inside of me. Occasionally, I might flesh out, might tip over to my flesh, but it's not the norm. It's a place where I vacation. It's not a place where I live. So here's two basic truths as we ponder Leviticus. God is holy. And the word holy, when you study it in the Old Testament, much like Isaiah, chapter 6, Isaiah says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord exalted and lifted up. And the train of his robe was filling the temple. And the seraphim and the cherubim were flying around these angels and they were singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, is, and is to come. The word holy was, look at him, he's perfect and pure. He's perfect and pure. He's perfect and pure. Woe is me. I'm a jacked up ruined man. Unclean mouth. So repeatedly in the book of Leviticus, Here's a phrase you'll read. Let me share it with you. This is what God says. You shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. You say you know me. You say you belong to me. You say that I am now with you and in you. You shall be holy because the one you say you know and you belong to is holy. Be holy in all your behavior. You've got to be holy in order to be close to God. So the question has to be posed, does my character and lifestyle reflect the character of God? If I don't know the character of God, and if I haven't studied the character of God, and a person tells me that they're a child of God and a follower of God, you might be able you might be able to bluff me. But, but, but if I know God and I know the character of God and the nature of God and the holiness of God, you can't bluff me because you can't bluff him. Does your life reflect the character of God? I didn't say does your life reflect that you go to church once a week. I, I, I didn't even say does your life reflect that you've written a few checks. 
Hello, come on, Richard. I'm talking about does your life reflect the character of God? Because God's holiness motivates our obedience to him. Write it down. God's holiness motivates obedience. So when you go back and study it, Exodus 20, we get to 10, commands. Why did God give Israel the Ten Commandments and different rules and different things? What was the purpose of the law? And I'm pondering that this week. God, why do you you want to give them people the law? Listen to what Romans chapter 3 says, starting in verse 19. The purpose of the law, listen to this. This is brilliant. The purpose of the law is to keep people from having excuses. Well, how about that? Why don't you give them the law? So they would quit making up stinking excuses. They've got excuses for everything. And the purpose of the law was to show every person in the world that they're guilty before God. You stand condemned before me. You're dirty. You're jacked up. For no one can be made right with God by doing what the law commands. I gave you the law not to save you and clean you up, but to show you that you needed something more than even that. He goes on to say, the law shows how sinful we are. Well, why'd you give the law? To show you. Quit making excuses. Just own your crap. Everyone's guilty. Everyone's a sinner. So what what, what are you saying? I'm saying the law screamed. I'm just a mirror. You can look in a mirror. And the mirror will show you. Look at how dirty you are. Look at those thinking zits on your forehead. Look at this and look at that. The mirror reveals. But the mirror does not clean and justify. The law shows us. Look. There's this holy God and you don't measure up to this holy God. That's the reason. The theme, the theme, don't miss this. The theme of the Old Testament is failed kingship. One king after another is coming. But they can't bring salvation. They can't bring the solution. They they can't save you. They, They can't bring about this salvation, this forgiveness, this cleansing. Until the king of kings and lord of lords comes. There, there's one coming that, that's going to be greater than the law. He's going to fulfill the in, intent of the law. But when he comes, he's going to offer his blood and he's going to be able to cleanse you and forgive you once and for all. Thus, the second point that Leviticus screams is atonement for sin is required. You've got to have atonement. What, what, what does that mean? Atonement is the payment that is required to make a wrong right. It's got to be atoned for. So when you study the book of Leviticus, I'm holy. Y'all run from me. Y'all reject me. Y'all, uh, y'all brother, cruise back over to Egypt and eat manna and quail occasionally. But, but, but I'm holy. Listen, in order for me to make you right with me, I, 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 I've got to atone for your sin. Leviticus is a bloody book. Blood's all over the place. You study Leviticus, sacrifices being made. Blood's on the altar. Blood's being splattered in the tabernacle. The priest's garments were even bloody. Blood was applied and thrown onto the mercy seat. Why? 
Because if you go back in Genesis, when man jacked it up, Adam and Eve, they came up with a solution of fig leaves that didn't work. God goes, stop. God had to kill an animal, take the skin of the animal through the shed blood of the animal, and cover the nakedness and shame and sin of man. So as far back as we can see, God has been using blood to atone for, make payment for sin. Leviticus 17.11 says, the life of the flesh is in the blood. I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. It is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. It is the blood, check it out, by reason of the life. You see, the life of that little unblemished lamb is the Jews in Israel celebrated Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. We've got to pay for our sin. You, you, you see, read it. The blood by reason of the life that makes this atonement that, that's only going to be good for a year. That's the reason when John the Baptist sees Jesus coming, he says, Behold, wow, the Lamb of God, that will take away the sin forever. Amen. That's the reason Hebrews would say regarding Jesus, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness and remission of sin. There's got to be bloodshed because in us, our very blood got diseased. That's the reason we die. All the way back to Adam and Eve, we inherited the Adamic blood nature. Adam and Eve's blood nature were born into the world contaminated. But the life of the flesh is in the blood. That's where we find that DNA, that uniqueness. Hey, come on in. We need to do blood work. I wish it was ear wax work. It wouldn't hurt near as bad. Or we could cut your toenail off and find out what's going on. No! The life of the flesh is in the so squeeze that ball and bam, we've got to take blood. We've got to take blood. Because the blood reveals what's going on in your body. And the blood that was shed at Calvary revealed what could go on in the body. That the body of believers could be set free, sanctified, set apart into the things of God, separated from the world. We didn't need it anymore. Atonement was made. I've had some people say atonement means at one minute. It means we could be brought back to be one with God. Peter that walked with Jesus later, as, as he's encouraging these people of God, he writes this in 1 Peter, like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior. It is written, you shall be holy, for God is holy. What are you saying? Be holy in your talk. Tell the truth. Be holy in your walk. Be holy with what you put in your body. Be holy with what you put on your body. Be holy with what you put around your body. You've been bought with a price. You are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. Glorify God by walking holy. So, 
What message does your life declare? Oh, okay. I want you to walk with me. I want you to know me. I'm pursuing you. I'm chasing you. I'm not giving up on you. Now, I'm holy. I know. Man, sinful. I get it. Atonement is required. The Savior was murdered to cleanse you of your sin, to cleanse you of your guilt, to, to cleanse you of all your unholiness. Now, stay with me. Then we start to walk into the book of Numbers. And God tells the people of Israel, now, I'm holy, but let me tell you what I want to do for you. I've come over to Egypt and grabbed you out of oppression. I've given you some laws that show you you don't measure up, but I'm telling you right now, I want to make you holy. I want to conform you. I want to give y'all the promised land. I want to take you to a land of abundance. Oh, it's rich with milk and honey. I want to take y'all to a place that you've never been, and I want to give you what you don't deserve, but I just want to show you I'm kind. I, I, I want to give y'all the land of delicacies and the land of extravagance. That's what I want to do for y'all. So Moses rallied those people together and tell them that God wants to give them God's best. Just tell them to come on. It's it's going to blow your mind when I take you there. So Moses rallies the people together. God wants to give us his best. God's about to lead us on this journey. And they take off. And what should have been an 11-day trip People got to griping. People got to complaining. People got to running their mouths. Eleven days. Do y'all not know that I've saved you? I rescued you. I, I could have let all y'all die. It took the people of Israel 40 years. Just wondering. Ticked. Complaining, griping. Praise God that Joshua and Caleb said, we're going. It may take us a while now to get there. Thousands and thousands of people died complaining in the wilderness. And when we choose to ignore God's plan, and when we choose to reject God's plan, many people walk in here this morning and you've been wandering aimlessly. God has spoken. God has said. God has laid out a blueprint. I don't want, you, I don't want, I don't want it your way. I got an agenda. I'm going to protect self. I'm going to promote self. I'll sedate and medicate with the created, but I'm not going to honor the creator. I'll use and abuse what you put on this planet, but I don't want you. And there's people, I promise you with all my heart, some of you are walking in here today and God has spoken and God is going, man, I want to give you the promised land. I want to give you a life you never thought I want to give you abundance. I want to just take care of you. I want to show you that I'm God. I'm good. 
있습니다. 너 no. Back to the conversation. I'm a closet drinker. I got my stash hid, crushing it, try to save face in public. Not honoring God, I'm just wandering and wasting. There's people come in here, back on Oxy. People have floated in here, substituting with a needle, shooting up heroin. And I know there's pain in your life. And I know that life is tough. And I know it can be difficult. I know that. But I know that those less wild lovers are going to let you down and they're going to destroy you and kill you. And there's so many people like the children of Israel just wandering. And then you get a, a negative attitude. Just complaining about everything. Two people can walk out and go, man, what a beautiful day. And the other one goes, this one sucks. It's going to be a bad day. I'm like, are you serious? Get out of my car. I'm not, I don't want you riding with me. Matter of fact, I, I don't even want you around me. Your stinking thinking is killing you. But, but here, here it is. Jeff, listen to this. The people of Israel tested God's patience. And in return, God tested their endurance and faithfulness. Y'all going to stay with me? How long will you gripe? That's the reason Joshua would, would later write, choose this day whom you're going to serve. But as for me and my house, we're serving God. Figure it out. And that's the reason I, I've, I've had to unplug, Robert, so many just negative complaining spirits. They don't see it. They don't want to go there. God will not tolerate a complaining, negative spirit without consequences. There's consequences. And number screams, I love you. I want to give something to you. But you're substituting me with this other junk. Come on, Paul. You've seen it happen. I don't want God. He was their God. They were his people. And he expected them to live like it. I'm God. You claim you know me. I expect you to live like it. I'm going to work with you. I put the Holy Spirit inside of you. You don't have to live in defeat any longer. Now, Larry Crabb said this in the 66 Love Letters. And that's the book I've highly encouraged you to go through during this time, 66 Love Letters by Larry Crabb. Many of you have gotten it. But Larry Crabb said this, you will experience, this is even for the person really seeking to press into the Lord, Nick. Lisa, this is the way for us. You will experience failure and have conflict on the road that leads to where God's taken you. Even as a believer, you're still going to struggle. But it's the right road, even if, it, even if it feels like it's killing you. Because becoming holy is hard work. And for God to conform us into the likeness of Christ is not easy. There is a lot of deaths that have to take place along this way. I, I got to crucify that part of your flesh right there. You're, you're, you're not trusting me. You're not honoring me. You, you still want to dog other people around you. 
You're playing your little self-righteous card on the table. You want to still think you're good. You suck and everybody else sucks. Realize it. That's why we all need a Savior. That's locker room. Sorry. <laughs> but it's true. We're all jacked up. We're all jacked up. I don't struggle with any person in this room with your depravity. I just don't like certain people's humanity. But we're all depraved. Your humanity is no more jacked up than mine is. We all need a Savior. So I want you to get it. God desires to conform us. That is the story of numbers. Listen, I want to take you somewhere and give you something. You, it's going to blow your mind. It's the best. But people missed it because people did not believe God. Hebrews chapter 3. This is, this is beyond powerful passage. Starting in verse 7. Today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled, when they tested me in the wilderness. Today when, not if, today when you hear his voice. I love you, man. I'm chasing after you. I'm going to speak to you. Not done with you. Today when you hear his voice, look back at Israel. Don't rebel like they did. Don't, don't, don't test God the way they did. They tested and tried my patience. Even though they saw my miracles for 40 years, they saw all this cool stuff that I was doing. Kept testing me. Didn't want to honor me. Wouldn't submit to my lead. Wouldn't chase after me. And he goes, I was angry with them. And I said, their hearts always turn away from me. They refuse to do what I say. They're not going to enter into a place of rest. Today when you hear his voice, don't jack it up like Israel did. Don't harden your hearts. Don't become deaf to the things of God. Listen, listen to him. He goes on to say in verses 12 and 13, be careful then. Make sure your hearts are not evil and unbelieving. Make sure your hearts are not turning away from the living God. You must warn each person person each other day after day while it is still called today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened. And I promise you this happens every week. My brother who was in the first service who has battled some addiction stuff. Listen to me. Stop. Stop. While it's still called today, while we still got breath, Point out, help, help, help. it's a blind spot. They don't see it. Help them. You don't want to see them become hard. There's interventions that are going to take place for the purpose of restoration. Call them out. You love him. Don't let, don't, don't let him stay stuck any longer. Be, be, listen to me, people. When what you're doing is motivated by love, I'm not calling you out to attack you. I'm calling you out because what you're doing is outside the lines of the will of God. You're not walking holy and you're trusting something other than Jesus. Stop that. The power of the Holy Spirit is able to help you conquer that. Stop it. And the reason we come alongside and point it out, quit complaining about every stinking thing. Quit dogging other people. That's not the character of God. Instead of dogging them, pray for them. It don't take near as long and it uses your energy in the right direction. Stop it. 
And that's what he says right here in Hebrews. Listen, listen. You must warn each other every day. Warn them, Tim. Warn them not to wonder. Some of y'all in here right now, your lives are so jacked up. Warn them. They don't have to live there. I love them. I'm for them. You don't want to see anyone deceived. No. Warn them. I'm telling you, the book is inspired. There's so much relevant stuff in the book of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. You're going, wow. Come on, Dallas. It's so relevant to us. Then we, then we conclude today with just glancing at Deuteronomy, the second law, if you will. That's what it was called. And Deuteronomy screams this. God is faithful to faithless people. I'm faithful even to faithless people. And Paul would write, even when we're faithless, God remains faithful because he can't deny being who he is, Josh Lee. I'm faithful. I'm, I'm faithful. Deuteronomy is one of the most often quoted books of the Old Testament. I don't know if you know this, but when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River, and Jesus is about to launch his public ministry, Satan comes at Jesus and tempts him. Jesus three times looks at him and says, it is written. It is written. It is written. And all three times he quoted the book of Deuteronomy as his ultimate authority. Do you not realize what God has said? It's written. We're not going to test God. It, it, it's written repeatedly. Deuteronomy is so strong. The Shema, which is the Jewish confession of faith, of Judaism, if you will. When you're a young kid, you are taught the Shema, the confession of faith for all Jews in Judaism. It's found in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 6. Listen to what he says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God and the Lord is one. Israel, listen. This is the confession of faith in Judaism. Listen, Israel. The Lord, he's God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord. You shall love the Lord. Your God with all of your heart, soul, and strength. This is the confession for every young Jewish kid. This is the confession today, Nick. Our Jewish friends, what is the confession of your faith? Hear, O Israel. Hear, hear. Which means listen. Obey, Israel. Listen. Obey. He who has, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. Listen. Now obey. Then, then what? Love. Love God. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Love God. Which means devote. L listen. 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 Obey. Love. I'm devoted to. And we go all the way back and we go, God is saying to his people, I'm holy. I know you've jacked it up. Atonement is required. I want to give you an abundant life. Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full, abundant. Thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. 
Thief's going to try to get you to wander. And then he says, as he closes out the Pentateuch, first five books of Torah, hey, I'm God. There's only one. I'm still after you. I want you to love me. I want you to listen to me. I want you to obey me. I want you to stay devoted. And then he says this in Deuteronomy 10. And now, Israel, what does the Lord, your God, require of you? To fear the Lord with your heart, to walk in his ways, to love him, to serve him with all you've got, with all your heart and soul. What, what, what does God want, Israel? Let me tell you what I want. I want you to love and respect me for who I am above all. Okay. I want you to follow me wherever I lead you without complaining and griping. I want you to serve me with all your heart. I want you to obey everything that I tell you to do. So one of our value statements here, we talk about how we love to see people engaged in Sunday worship. We want to see people connected in small group. But we talk about we want to see our people sharing their faith. And we want to see people serving. And to see the serving and the sharing that took place on this campus yesterday was amazing. There were people here late Friday night getting ready for this car show. Getting ready for this yard sale thing. I mean, Amanda, you girls rallying together throughout the weeks, raising probably a thousand plus to go toward missions, just junk that was sitting in people's closets and garages that we can send to Melanie and Patrick down in Mexico to say, Here, here's some resources that will help you minister. Our people are out there serving. I mean, Rachel, you and Julie, that entire team of all you girls, all the hours that were put in, this car show, all these old Classic cars showing up. I did pick up a Budweiser bottle this morning because we had gearheads here. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Good thing is it was still half full. So, no. But we had all these people on this campus, and so many people were lost. And I love it, Nick, because our people were out there loving, were out there serving, were out there encouraging. Spencer, you were over here bright and early taking care of stuff. People out there cooking barbecue. And I just walked around and I said, our people serve. Our people lay themselves out as broken bread and spilled out wine as worship unto the king because he says, fear me, I'm God. Obey me. Now go serve me. Now stay with me. Come on. Do what I say. I want to use you. And so I want to encourage you in closing with this. Just, just listen to me. When you pick up this, Hebrews says the word of God is alive. And it's sharper than any two-edged sword. This book is alive. So if you pick it up and read in Genesis, it's alive. Exodus, Leviticus, Danny. If you pick it up and start to read through Amos, Malachi, Psalms, Proverbs, Matthew, Acts, Titus, I don't care. When you pick this up, you were picking up a living book that was written by a living God who wants to speak life into you. It's alive. Most Christians are like bad film. They're overexposed, but they're underdeveloped. We can develop 
with a spiritual growth plan. We've got stuff. We want to help you. Part of receiving salvation and forgiveness is starting to walk in holiness with a spiritual growth plan. God is at work both to will and to act according to his good pleasure. He wants to conform us into his likeness. You're going to have some hiccups along the way? It's the exception, not the rule. Let's get into community. Let's press into the Lord, and let's get healed up.